Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, JT and musicians. Beautiful, beautiful singing. Well, we're back in talking about Joseph again. This is the last message. And uh, last week I started a two-part series within the longer series of happiness. So this is part two of happiness. I, I think God wants his people to be happy. And uh, many of them are not. And so we've been talking about some ways that I think and pray will help you be a little happier. Find the joy of the Lord and to live in it and, uh, and walking with the Lord Jesus. Well, again, this message is a little different than the way I usually preach. I usually preach expository messages about, you know, word, word for word, verse for verse, and so forth. Today, this is kind of a topical message, the topic being happiness. But I'm still taking some thoughts from the story of Joseph. So, with that said, turn to chapter 37, as you see on the screen there, in verse 23. Leading up to these verses, of course, Joseph's brothers hated him. And they, they, they could not or would not say one nice thing to him. Now, his older brothers, they go out uh, into Shechem to take care of some of the flocks. And uh, eventually, Jacob sends Joseph, the younger brother, to check on the, on the older brothers and see how they're getting along. So he goes to Shechem, and they have departed from there and gone to a place called Dotham. And so he travels then to Dothan, and he finds his brothers. When they see him coming a long way off, they plot to kill him. It's just amazing. They say, here comes that dreamer. Let's slay him and throw him in a pit and say an animal got him. And, uh, and then one of them says, well, let's, so his blood won't be on our hands. Let's just throw him in a pit. He can't get out and let the desert kill him. And uh, so that was their plan. And we picked the story up then in verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was come to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. Boy, that was cruel, wasn't it? throw your brother in a pit, and then enjoy a little picnic together. They sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead and uh, with their camels bearing spices and balm and myrrh, uh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood, come let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. So they sell him to the Ishmaelites, and of course we've been over the rest of the story in our study. I want, to, I want you to think about the word pit. They threw him in a pit. The word pit is used seven times in this chapter. It's the first time in the Bible that the word pit is used. The word pit can be translated to mean 
uh, or can be translated dungeon. Forty-two times it's called a pit in the Old Testament, but but uh, two times it's called a dungeon, or eleven times it's called a dungeon, and uh, a cistern four times. So the word pit. He was down in a pit, and then. Last week we looked at that verse, you can flip on over there. Last week we looked at that verse in chapter 39 in verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man. Remember that word prosperous can mean victorious. So he was a joyous man. He was a happy man even through all of his conflicts. Now I want you to look over in chapter 40. We'll look at one verse here. This scene is in the prison. It's 11 years now since he was sold into slavery. Look at verse 15. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and here also in, in the prison I have done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. Now that word dungeon is the exact same word that's translated pit seven times in chapter 37. So when Joseph said this, he said the exact same word. So picture Joseph in your mind. He's thinking, I was in a pit 11 years ago. Now I'm in a pit again. And then one more verse over in chapter 50. Turn over there with me, if you would, in verse 20. Chapter 50 and verse 20. He's speaking now to his brothers, and now it's been 39 years since the brothers threw him in the pit. And they've been reconciled for 17 years. Their father, Jacob, dies, and the sons still feel guilt for that terrible thing they did, and they ask Joseph for forgiveness even though he's already forgiven them. And just pick up verse 20. But as for you, speaking to his brothers, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people. The next verse then says he he's going to nourish their little ones. He comforted them and spake with kindness unto them. That word evil there is translated in many different ways. It's translated hurt 20 times, uh, it's translated trouble 10 times, and adversity 4 times, it can mean misery even. And so in, even though Joseph's life was full of trouble, adversity, problems, he still was a joyous man. That's a beautiful thing to think about, isn't it? Pray with me. Father, thank you for our time together. Make it profitable, I pray, for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. John Madison tells a story about he and his wife who went to the local IHOP to get something to eat. And the waitress that waited on them was extremely cheerful. And she had a bright, as he would call it, radiant smile. And uh, she had a big button on her uniform that said, A smile is a gift you can give every day.
She can't, you know, they, she was coming back and forth to the table. And, and then they noticed, looking a little closer, that she only had one tooth. But she was smiling big. And her face was radiant. And uh, so John commented on her face and said something to the effect that it, her, her uh, was such a blessing. Her smile was so radiant. And uh, then he asked her about the button and said he really liked her button. She thanked him, walked away, come back, and, and she then told about the button. She said her father had done the calligraphy on the button. And then she said that her father, and I'm, I, I, want, I want to read this the way she said it. The woman explained that her father had done the calligraphy, and I'm quoting, he had his fingers cut off in an industrial accident, and then he decided to take up calligraphy. Now, if you don't know, calligraphy is fancy writing. It's not the way we write in Tennessee, but uh, it's beautiful writing, you know. And uh, so her father took up calligraphy after he had his fingers cut off in an accident. In recalling the story, John said this, and I'm quoting, Perhaps only a woman raised by a fingerless dad who does calligraphy can choose to smile even though she has only one tooth. You can have the joy of Jesus if you only have one tooth. You, you can lose your teeth and still be happy. You can lose your fingers and still be happy if you have the joy of Christ. John would later write, A smile is an asset. A frown is a liability. Some people smile and change things. And then he says, Being happy is always a choice. Now, Karen and I, counseling with people, we used to use a book called Happiness is a Choice. You'd be surprised how many people dislike that title. They're, not only are they skeptical, but they don't like it because they don't think they can be happy. Other people can be happy, but I can't really be happy because I've got troubles and problems and burdens and so forth. But happiness is a choice for the believer. And then he goes on to say, both enthusiasm and pessimism are contagious. How much of each are you spreading? Well, let's define what we're talking about when we talk about the pits. Uh, look at your screen. Believe it or not, the term the pits is in the dictionary. And uh, here in Webster in Cambridge, it says something that is very bad or unpleasant. So that's the two extremes, very bad or unpleasant. The pits. And then in the dictionary.com, the worst possible person, place, or thing. And then this is the one I like the best. It comes from you, you dictionary or your dictionary.com. Something miserable or unpleasant. And then it gives you these quotes. That was in the dictionary. I was down in the pits. So it's like being down in the dumps. Down in the pits. And as far as circumstances go, uh, Joseph was down in the pits 
on and off his whole life. Now, for our, for our study today, we're using the pits of term in this way. We can be in the pits in the circumstances of life. Everybody has difficult circumstances that come into our lives. We can be in the pits in that sense, or we can be in the pits in our mind, our heart, or soul. You can be in the pits when everything's going fine. You can just get down in the dumps or down in the pits as such. And so we have this definition for our study today. Remember I told you last week the Associated Press ran that article that said the U.S. is more, happy to, uh, more unhappy today than they've been in 50 years. COVID, of course, causing a part of that. And only 14% said they were very happy. By the way, I would be in that 14%. I'm very happy. Sometimes I almost feel guilty because I'm so happy. But the joy of Jesus will do that. And uh, so only 14%. And I imagine that 14% of America were believers who loved the Lord Jesus and had his joy, or at least most of that 14%. USA Today said 45% of the country is unhappy, and the U.S. Census Bureau said 42% were suffering from anxiety or depression. And last week I talked about taking medication if you need to, and if, you, that, if you're in a situation like that, go back and listen to next week. So America's unhappy, or I said next week, go back and listen to, to last week. <laughs> the word happy is used 28 times in the Bible. The word blessed, which we saw last week, is, is a synonym for happy, used 496 times, and joy is used 167 times. God wants us joyous. He wants us happy. But some things come along and steal our joy and steal our happiness, and we find ourselves in the pit. Remember, we talked about the difference between the world's happiness and the Christian's happiness, and there is a big difference. The world's happiness comes about by circumstance. It comes about by happening. It's, you, it's right there in the word, happy, happening. The root word is hap, which means lucky. So the world's happy when something good happens to them. They may even count it as luck. Boy, I'm lucky. I got this good deal or something, and they're happy about that. But the Christian's happiness comes from the Lord, regardless of circumstance. It comes from the Lord, the joy of the Lord, and we can have it even when circumstances are difficult or bad. Now, last week, we, again, we looked at John 13, where Jesus talked about being happy if you do these things, take on a servant's attitude, a servant's heart, serve God and serve man, to... Forgive people who have wronged you. Wash their feet, Jesus said. And three, walk in fellowship with the Lord because that's where real joy comes from. It's from Christ himself. Jesus is the giver of joy. But now this week, I want you to think about something else that helps us when we tend to get down in the pits. Look back at your screen for a moment. And here's... King David at a time when he was down in the pits. And in the context of this, we know there was a lot of pressure and stress and, and uh, 
distress and, and affliction going on in his life. And he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. You ever talk to yourself? Yeah. Sometimes we need to straighten ourselves out a little bit. And so David is, he's cast down, or he's down in the dumps. Or to use our term, he's down in the pits. And he says, why are you down in the pits, O my soul? And then he says, why, why art thou disquieted within me? The word disquieted means uh, to have anxiety, to be upset. So David was upset. He had anxiety. But he was asking the question of himself, why are you that way? Because he knows even in the hardest circumstances, he shouldn't be. Then he says, hope in God. He tells himself, hope in God. That's a good thing to tell yourself. Hope in God. Trust the Lord. Praise Him. And then in the next, last part of this verse, he says, For I shall yet praise Him who is the health of my countenance. And the, word, and the Amplified implies, says it implies the word sad, of my sad countenance, which right now David is sad. He's cast down. He's in the pits. But he says... The Lord is the health of my countenance. He's the one that can give, he gets the one that can restore my joy to me. So he says, I'm going to praise him. Now, praise is a marvelous thing. I think the word praise was in all of our songs today. Praise is a marvelous thing. And when you get to praising the Lord, the Lord lifts you. The word praise is used 313 times where God calls us to praise him. Rejoice 267 times, worship 183 times, and thanks 100 times. God calls us to rejoice, to praise Him, to worship Him, to give thanks unto Him. Not only is it what He wants for Him, He wants it for us because He wants to use that because He's the, uh, he's the health. He's the one who gives health to our countenance or to who we are. And so, let's learn, learn to praise Him all the time. Not just on Sunday morning, but all the time. An attitude of praise. Alan Radin was, was a fisherman. And the article says he was an old, tough fisherman from Alaska. He took his 42-foot boat out on a month-long fishing trip. And that trip became a nightmare his boat sank, and uh, he managed to get into a life raft. He had on a survival suit, and he had a fleece jacket. He did get off a of mayday, but the storm was raging so much, he didn't know if anybody would, could hear it or see it and so forth. And so here he was in a lifeboat in the middle of a storm, couldn't see land in any direction, and he didn't know how long he'd be out there. In his mind, he became cast down, disquieted, discouraged, and with a lot of anxiety. He said his little, his little uh, life raft was being tossed around like a cork in the ocean. 
He felt himself losing hope, he said. And he began to panic and uh, quickly sank into discouragement and hopelessness. He began to think, was my life insurance big enough? I should have taken out a bigger life insurance. I don't know what my family's going to do without my income. And, and on and on he worried. And, and then he realized that his negative thinking was dragging him down worse than the ocean was, as he put it. And he determined to cast negative thoughts out of his raft as though they were weights pulling him down. And he began to quote scripture to the Lord and speaking God's word aloud. He started thinking about God and God's goodness and all the good things God had done for him. So he started naming his blessings. So he thanked the Lord for his raft. He thanked the Lord for his uh, survival suit. He thanked the Lord for the warm jacket. Then he began to thank the Lord for his family and all the blessings through life and for Christ and for the blood and for forgiveness of sin. <coughs> and so he spent the next hours praising the Lord. He said the struggle deepened as it got dark. But he said there was definitely a grace from God. And he had to fight for every inch in his mind. Ten hours later, he was rescued. And the woman who wrote about it, Tracy Miles, in the, her book, Unsinkable Faith, she said he, was, he anchored himself in God and embraced praise, which helped him stay afloat. You know, you can have the joy of Jesus when you're in a life raft and you don't know if anybody's going to find you or not. You can have it if you have no teeth or if you have no fingers. Circumstances of life should not dictate whether or not you and I have the joy of Jesus. And so, I want us to go over these thoughts now about the pits that steal away our joy. Look at, look at with me. <clears throat> the first one is the pits of sin. By the way, I had time to show this one back uh, three or four months ago, but I ran out of time, like I'm doing now. I ran out of time, and I just didn't finish the sermon. So I've been trying to finish this sermon for three months now. The pits of sin. It's our own making. Sin will steal away your joy. Immorality, alcohol, drugs, anger, selfishness, envy, malice, hate, gossiping, on and on. Sin will steal away our joy. But the answer to that is confession and repentance. When we confess our sins, He forgives us of all unrighteousness. We should turn from that sin. Confession implies Repentance, turning from our sin. And uh, apology, you might need to apologize to somebody. If so, do it. Uh, you maybe need restoration with someone or, or to make res, uh, restoration. That is, you might need to pay somebody back if you cheated them out of some money or in some other way. 
restored fellowship of the Lord, and then learn to praise Him. Those things will pull you out of the pit and restore your joy again. Excuse me. Joseph's brothers are a good example of this. They, they committed the sin. They threw their brother into a pit. They were guilty of other sins too, we know from the Scripture. Eleven years later, when they found out Joseph was alive, they still felt guilt over that sin and felt like God was punishing them for their sin. Thirty-nine years after they threw him in the pit, we read that portion, or we read a verse from it, they were still feeling like they had done such a terrible thing that Joseph might throw them in prison or something. That sin will steal away your joy. It'll occupy your mind. Confess it and forsake it and give praises to the Lord. Thank Him for His forgiveness. But there's a second area in which we might fall into the pits. That is the pits of providence. It's beyond our control. (coughs) Joseph could not control the fact that his brothers threw him in a pit. Neither could he control the fact that Potiphar threw him in prison. Those were things beyond his control. Sickness is beyond our control. Loss of a loved one. Loss of a job or poverty or having a wayward child. Those things weigh heavy on people's hearts. And if we get our eyes off the Lord and on to these things, it'll steal away our joy. Everybody goes through difficult circumstances. We can have joy even in the midst of them. Here's the antidote for the pits, if it's the pits of circumstance. Know that God is good. Isn't God good? He's good all the time, isn't he? It doesn't come and go. He's good all the time. Know that God is good. And his ways are past finding out. We may never understand why a bad thing happened to us. Maybe he'll tell us in heaven. And then claim Romans 8.28. I know when we read Genesis 50, 20 a few moments ago, you saw that even though Romans 8, 28 had not been written and put in print yet, it was on the heart of Joseph. He said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Claim that verse. And then trust the Lord for comfort, strength, and grace. All you need. Be sure you praise it. And then another thing that robs us of our joy and puts us in the pits is the pits of wrongs. When somebody has wronged us. This is the most difficult. His brothers wronged Joseph. Potiphar wronged him. Potiphar's wife wronged him. We are wronged in many, many ways. I just jotted down a few of them. Sometimes we're misunderstood. Sometimes we're accused of something that's incorrect. Sometimes there's gossip about you or me. And when we hear that, it hurts us. Lies. 
unfaithfulness. Now, there's a lot of ways unfaithfulness can be displayed, but of course the worst is in a marriage, infidelity in a marriage. It breaks, breaks the heart of the mate. Unfaithfulness. Abandonment. There'll be a lot of illustrations under that one too. Divorce. Sometimes divorce is extremely difficult. And sometimes mean things are said. And sometimes there's infidelity involved. And then there's abuse. Verbal abuse, physical abuse, or sexual abuse. Do you know that the divorce rate is still 50% in America? The last time I checked it, it's close to that among people who claim to be Christians. There's maybe 300 people in the audience today and maybe another 100 watching online. I'm rounding that off to make the number easy to do the math with. So let's say 400 people are listening to me this morning. That means 200 of those people, it's likely they've been through a divorce. Maybe 100 men, maybe 100 women. And that divorce may have become difficult and bitterness and hard feelings and anger and hatred spring up. And so we need God's answer to this. So let's look at the antidote for this one. Yield to the Lord, that's the first thing. Trust Him to control you. Because you cannot do the next thing unless you've done these first two things. The next thing is forgive. That's the most difficult thing in restoring joy and happiness and dragging us from the pit. And then ask the Lord to heal you. Draw near and hold close in fellowship like we talked about last week. And then praise Him. Praise Him, adore Him, thank Him for all the blessings of life. So many of you have been through a difficult divorce. Let me share with you some thoughts on abuse. This comes from the Abuse National Network, U.S. Department of Human Services, Crimes Against Children Research Center. This first fact says one in three girls will be sexually abused before the age of 18. That means of the women, grown women who are listening to my voice right now, maybe one-third of you were sexually abused before you were 18. That just staggers me, doesn't you? Here's another fact. One in six boys will be sexually abused abused before the age of 16, or 18, I'm sorry, 18. One in three girls, one in six boys. Here's some other facts that are quite frightening. 47% of the abusers are family members or extended family. 93% of the abusers, the child knows them. So only 7% comes from strangers. 
Every two minutes in America, someone is sexually abused. Wow. Now let's do the numbers again. Let's say there's 400 people here, one in three ladies. That means there's 66 ladies, maybe, that have been sexually abused listening to me right now. And 33 men who are abused. Before I go on to speak about that, let me also just throw a warning out there that's so obvious I probably don't need to say it, but parents, grandparents, watch your children closely. When the, when the lights go out, the world in America is an evil place. And there's evil behind closed doors. Be careful. Be careful. Now I want to speak to the 66 women and the 33 men who were abused maybe when you were a child. You may be a senior citizen. Now it happened to you when you were a child. The answer is forgiveness. And it's one of the most difficult things you'll ever do. You have to yield to the Lord Jesus because He's the only way you can do it. He's the one who... After they nailed him to the cross with the spikes in his hands and the spikes in his feet and he'd been tortured and, and, uh, and his body cut apart by the whipping from the very cross where he was dying, he said, Father, forgive them. Wow. The only way we can forgive those kind of abuses is if Christ is controlling us. But he's big enough. And if he's controlling, we can forgive. Look at these Bible verses, and I've got to move quickly. Jesus speaking here, he, just that last part. And pray for those who despitefully use you. Abuse is being despitefully and, and uh, uh, treated, treated without respect. Pray for them. Maybe this is a good way to start on the journey to forgiveness. Pray for those who have abused you. Or pray for that, those who treated you with such disregard during a divorce. And then, in the Lord's Prayer, He teaches us to pray. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, that word could be translated trespasses, or it could be translated sins. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're saying, Lord, forgive me just like I forgive those who have sinned against me. Wow, let that soak in for a minute. That's the Lord's Prayer. And then he goes on to elaborate on it in verse 14, for if ye... Forgive men their trespasses, again, their sins or their debts. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's good news. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's startling. Now, this is not a condition for salvation. This is talking to the followers of Christ. We want fellowship with the Lord. We want to confess our sins and let the Lord forgive us. But if we don't confess that sin of bitterness and hate and, and unwillingness to forgive, then we still have that sin in our life. And then, 
In Ephesians 4, the word says, forgive one another. <coughs> Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And then the Amplified puts it like this. Y'all read that while I drink. Forgive them like we were forgiven readily and freely. And that won't be easy. But it may be the key to you finding real happiness, the real joy of the Lord. Forgive your abusers. That doesn't mean you're saying what they did's okay. No, what they did may have been wicked beyond measure. But it means you're not going to hold that grudge. You've forgiven them in your heart. I close with this. Bob George has a book called Classic Christianity, and I'm going to put that on the screen in, in a few moments. He also had a radio program called People to People. And in his book, he tells about a young girl, 19 years old, who called him. <coughs> Excuse me just a minute. <clears throat> she called him on his live radio program. And uh, her name was Sharon. Just like I'm sitting at home in my recliner eating and drinking. Y'all just watching me, huh? <laughs> Sharon called and, and said that she had benefited from his teaching and she was finding more and more about how much God loved her. And then she said, after pausing for a moment, that when she was younger, in her younger teens, she was sexually molested by four of her uncles. Not all at the same time, but four of her uncles sexually molested her. And she said, we have these reunions, family reunions, and they're always there. And I just have to relive it and so forth. But she said that recently she had come to know Christ as her Lord and Savior. And then she said this astounding thing. She said, I've already forgiven them. She said, I don't hate them anymore. I used to hate them, but I don't hate them anymore. And I have already forgiven them because I know the Bible says I should. Wow, a young believer, 19, she'd already forgiven them. So her, what she was wanting was some advice how she could handle those family situations. So Bob George talked to her about, well, you know, when, when something bad happens to you, you might could uh, help other people that that happens to uh, once you uh, have vic victory over it and so forth. Do you think you'll meet women along the way that have been sexually abused? She said, sure. How many, he said, probably a lot. And so she took that in. He talked about Romans 8.28. She already understood that. And so his advice for the gatherings was that, that she just take the direct approach, go right up to 
each one of those uncles individually and say, we both know what you did. I want you to know I have forgiven you. And the Lord Jesus has forgiven all my sins. And, uh, and speak to each of them that way. And then he asked them, do either, any of your uncles know the Lord? And she said, oh, no. He said, well, do you know how to witness? You could witness to them. And she said, no, I don't know how to witness. And, and he said, well, I'm going to send you a booklet. And so he put the booklet in the mail. She called back the next week and spoke to him again on live radio. People are listening to this, you know. And he said, how did it go? She said, I think it went really well. She said, the little book you sent me has not arrived yet. But I went up to each one, like you said, and told them I had forgiven them and that Christ had forgiven me and that he would be willing to forgive them. And I just told them how I trusted Christ. She said, two out of my four uncles trusted Christ. God wants us to be joyous, to be happy. Sometimes that means we're going to have to forgive people who have wronged us in a terrible, wicked way. But thank God we can have the, the joy of the Lord. Amen? Bow with me, please. If you're here today and you'd say, Preacher, pray for me. I, I want to experience the joy of the Lord and the, the Lord's happiness more than I am experiencing it now. Pray for me. Would you slip your hands up all over? Yes, many people all over. You may put your hands down. No one's looking but me. But what if you were to just say, Preacher, pray for me. There's someone I need to forgive. You're just honest enough to raise your hand. Yes, I see that hand. And yes, and yes, and yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. You may put your hands down. Only the Lord Jesus can do that. Yield to his lordship. Let him take control. And the one who said, Father, forgive them from the cross, will strengthen you to forgive. If you've never trusted Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior, let me pray for you. Would you slip your hand up if that's, that's the situation you're in? You've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. Anyone? All right. Father, thank you for our time together. You've seen the hands of your people. More importantly, you know their hearts intimately. Help us to forgive every one of us here. There may be some who can't even think of someone they need to forgive, but along the way this week, you'll remind them. Help us each one to forgive like you have forgiven us.